Well, it's great to see all of you. Uh, my name is Matt Wolf. I'm the new lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here today. Um, it, it's been really great getting to know everybody and seeing all the different ministries in this church. I've seen a few of them in action just yesterday. The men's ministry stepped up and, and went over and, and did a lot of landscaping here. They got all sorts of mulch in. So if you're walking by, thinking, man, that place looks good. Thank those guys who, who stepped up yesterday and did that. I think that's really great to see people serving. Um, and I know there's tons of other ministries where people are doing awesome things as well. Um, just a, a couple things that are new this week. We are going to uh, start doing a song of response at the end of the service. So we're going to kind of respond to the message. And uh, Alan is going to lead us in that song today. I just want to let you know. So when I finish, don't we'll open the door for lunch. And you're, a lot of you are going to stay for new friends lunch anyways, right? Okay, good. Good, and the second thing is, um, I'm going to start putting the scripture for my message in the bulletin. So you might see it if you have one, and if you didn't, we can go grab one of those. So it's not going to be on the slide here. You can follow on your phone or on your Bible if you brought one. But I just want you to see that, and if you're taking notes, you can kind of underline things, circle some words, take some notes. And the extra verses that aren't in that specific passage that we're going over, I will put up here on the screen. Okay? Got those two things? Good, good, good. Well, we are in the third week in our series through the book of Galatians, in a series I'm calling 100% Pure, Organic, Non-GMO, Good News. Because that's really what the book of Galatians is about, the good news. We want to get that right, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And we want to get that right because if we get it right, it's going to affect our life better. If we don't, it's going to mess things up. So we're really focusing in today on the theology of the gospel, kind of what's at the center now, I'm using this metaphor throughout the series of produce. I've used it a few different ways. But have you ever gone and bought some produce and it looked great? It looked great in the grocery store. And then you come home and then you're like, ugh. You bite into that plum or whatever and it's rotten. Right? There was one time that I was going to cook some artichokes. Real fancy. Got two artichokes. I boiled them up to take forever to boil. Got them finished. I was so excited. I took them out. I'm going to dip them in butter, you know. And I peeled off one of the leaves. And there was a maggot. Peel off another leaf, another maggot. It was just raw, right? And sometimes that happens. You bite into the apple, there's the worm. You bite into whatever it is, and it's just rotten in the center. It doesn't matter how good it looks. What's on the inside is what matters. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What's at the center of the gospel? What's in the core? Because some people mess it up, and then it makes everything messed up. Get it right, it's going to make everything Good. So we're talking about that, and today we're going to talk about a concept called justification. Justification. So it's a little bit of theology today, but I want you to leave here because this is so important because it explains really how the gospel works. How it all works. Because we all are seeking justification. Now in the notes, i got four different uh, points today about justification. And the first one, just so you get a definition of what justification is, is that justification is being declared in the right been declared in the right. Now, this was a legal term that was used in the court of law at the time in, in the, the Greco-Roman world. And when you had your case presented, there were only two verdicts. It was either that you are condemned, that you're guilty, or that you are justified. So you're either in the wrong or in the right. It's a legal declaration. There wasn't a presumption of innocence in the ancient world. So you were either wrong or right. And in our culture, we don't have that because we say you're either guilty or not guilty. It doesn't mean you're in the right, you're just not guilty, right? But in the ancient world, there was this declaration of not only that you're innocent, 
Because that means you didn't do something. But that you're in the right. What you did was good. That it was right. That you are justified. So this is so important because it's the opposite of condemnation. And this is at the center of the gospel. It's at the core. And we all seek justification. We all want to be thought of as good, as right, as, as important. We want other people to accept us, love us, and think we are a good person. And, and that's why we do the things we do in our life. Really, to be accepted, to be impressing certain people. In the movie Chariots of Fire, the runner Harold Abrahams talks about it at one point, And he says, I will raise my eyes to look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. He was a runner and he said, I got that hundred meter dash. I got ten seconds to justify who I am as a person. If I'm fast, then I'm good. I'm justified. But if I'm slow, then I'm worthless. That, that's what we all do in our life. That's why we go to school so that we can get good grades, so that we can get the right degrees, so that people will accept us in a job. Or in a career. That's why we have this experience. We all have our resumes, whether they're written or not, because we want to know what people, what we have done so people will accept us. So that they'll like us, that they'll say, you're good, you're in the right. And when we do uh, bad things even, when we do things that other people don't like, we try to rationalize it and then justify what we have done wrong. And explain why we're right. Oh, I, I deserve to do that because this happened. My mom treated me like this when I was a kid. So I'm justified now to treat other people this way. You know, we, we do these things so that we could be justified in the eyes of others. Everyone does this. You know, in the re- religious world, a lot of people understand this because in the religious world, no matter what religion it is, in, in any culture, there's a set of rules and expectations. If you do these things, then you are in the right. If you don't do them, you're in the wrong. And you're either going to have to do something to make up for it, or some kind of penance, or something along those lines. Be in the right. But even non-religious people have their own set of rules and morals and expectations. People tried to get rid of the Ten Commandments, and then they replaced them with the modern-day Ten Commandments. Things like follow your dream, get an education, recycle. (laughs) We need to be sustainable. These are the things that we expect, that you can't say anything bad about people in the LGBT community, especially not about Caitlyn Jenner. If you say anything bad about them, you are a bad person. Right? We have these different rules. Even if you're not religious, we've created our own religious rules. You have to do these things if you want to be accepted. If you don't do them, you're not accepted. You know, even in Hollywood, who say we're, you know, we're, we're not Christian, we're not uh, religious at all. But if you say something bad and it's caught on TMZ, you're never working again. Because you're not accepted in their community. Every community that we're a part of, whether it's the medical community or academia or your school, whatever it is, we want to be accepted by the people. So we follow their rules, their expectations, so that we can be accepted. If you don't, it's shunned. We are all seeking justification in our lives. And, and this is a really big deal. At the University of Pennsylvania a few years ago, there was a whole um, bunch of suicides by the students. So the faculty got together and said, we've got to do something about this. So they put together a task force to study what was going on, and this was their conclusion. They said that the pressures engendered by the perception that one has to be perfect in every academic, co-curricular, and social endeavor can lead to stress, and in some cases, distress. In turn, distress can manifest as demoralization, alienation, or conditions like anxiety or depression. For some students, this becomes mental illness that can lead to suicide. 
This has detrimental effects because we don't feel like we're accepted by others. We're not good enough. We're not perfect. So we really got to figure out this idea, this concept of justification. Christianity says something completely different than the religion and the culture of everywhere else in our world. Because it says there's only one person who matters, whether they like you or not. There's only one person that we need to care if they accept us or not, and that's God. Only one person. And the way to be accepted by God is completely different than what you might think. That's what justification is, and we'll explain that here. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. There's that word condemned, opposite of justified. So Cephas is Peter. This is his Aramaic name. So Peter was the leader of the early church. He was Jesus' right-hand man during Jesus' ministry. And Jesus even said to Peter, on this rock, because Peter's nickname was the rock, on this rock I will build my church. So everyone looked up to Peter. He was the main guy. He was important. Even last week, Paul said, hey, I got my gospel, and I talked with Peter, and he had the same gospel. Because it was so important that they shared the same gospel. So Peter was important. And he was coming to visit Paul, who was doing his missionary work in Syria, in a place like the city of Antioch. So Paul had been there with his good friend Barnabas, and they had been sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with different people, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And all these people were coming to believe in Jesus Christ. They were becoming Christians. And they were planting churches, and it was so exciting all the things that were happening in Syria. So Peter wanted to go check it out. So he comes up north into Antioch, and he meets with a lot of these new Christian leaders who are Gentiles. And this was interesting because in, in, in this ancient Israel of the time that it was very important for Jews to follow the Jewish Old Testament. Now they had to follow kosher laws. You could only eat certain things. So most Jews did not eat meals with Gentiles. Because what if they serve pork? What's in that chili? You know, they couldn't eat shrimp. We couldn't tell, you know, you couldn't know for sure that Gentile food was safe to eat. So Jews just wouldn't even associate with them. But the gospel has come now so that even Gentiles are accepted. And Jesus came and fulfilled the Old Testament law. He said, no, you know, the, the Old Testament law, that's fulfilled now, Jesus Christ. So the Gentiles aren't doing it. Paul isn't following these kosher laws or anything. And when Peter and his friends come up from Jerusalem, they're not either. They're accepting the Gentiles. They're eating meals with them. They're having communion together. This is great. Everybody's coming together. But then, a group of Judaizers comes from Jerusalem. Judaizers, I mentioned them before, these were the people that believed in gospel plus. It wasn't enough to just believe in Jesus Christ. You had to believe in Jesus Christ and do all those Old Testament rules. So this meant no eating with Gentiles. You had to follow kosher laws. You couldn't work on the Sabbath. All these different rules and regulations. Hundreds and hundreds of them. You had to do that. And Peter heard this group of guys were coming. Peter was afraid. He was afraid. So he immediately disassociated himself with the Gentile Christians. He, he shunned them. And he and all the Christian leaders with him stopped eating with the Gentiles. They didn't want to be seen. And it got so bad that Barnabas, Paul's closest friend at the time, also went with Peter because Peter was the leader. Everybody expected him to, to do what was right, and he's doing this. Well, let's just go along with it. That's what we do with leaders. We follow them even when they're doing something wrong. 
Paul is saying this is not okay. Because we are commanded in Romans 15, 7 to accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. So this means even if someone is a Gentile and not following the Jewish law, if they believe in Jesus Christ, they are our brother and sister. We should eat meals with them. We should share communion together. We should hang out. We're all on the same team. But yet Peter, as the leader, isn't. Everyone's following him. And Paul gets upset. And he's ready to throw down. And that's what happens in verse 14. Paul says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He literally says here that Peter is a hypocrite. Just a moment ago, you were being with the Gentiles. Because you're saved by grace, not by following the Old Testament law. And yet now you're trying to force Christians to follow that Old Testament law. You're not even associating with the people who won't follow your Jewish rules. This is a big issue. And for Paul, this is so important that he's willing to go in front of everyone else and confront the leader of the church. And this is what the Bible teaches us in the book of Timothy. That when a leader, when an elder in the church does something wrong publicly, it needs to be addressed publicly. You know that this is important because a leader, especially a spiritual leader, can lead lots of people astray. And that's what happens here. So this is our second point about justification. Justification is worth fighting for. Paul's willing to confront Peter in front of everybody else and say, you're getting this wrong and it's messing with the gospel. You are messing with this idea of justification as he'll explain in just a little bit. This concept of justification is so important to Christianity. Maybe you've never heard this term before. You probably have heard the concept, but it's at the very center of what we believe in the gospel. In fact, it was so important that 500 years ago this year, the Protestant Reformation started over this concept. There was other issues, but there was this man named Martin Luther in 1517. He was a monk. He studied the Bible over and over again, and he kept reading in books like Romans and here in Galatians, were taught how someone is justified. He said, the church has got it all wrong. The priests are teaching something that's completely wrong. It's not what the Bible says. They've got justification wrong. So he found 99 problems, and the church was one of them. And he took these things, wrote them down, and nailed them to the Wittenberg door, and said, these are the problems that this church needs to address. He was protesting the church. That's why they're called, we're called Protestants. We're in that same street. He wanted to reform the church. We wanted to make it better and say, let's get back to what the Bible says. Get back to what Jesus taught. Get back to justification. And they didn't like it. And in fact, the Roman church at the time wanted to kill Martin Luther, put a sentence on his head, and they made him come before this tribunal and told him, you need to recant that and confess that you're a sinner. And he said, no, 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 and explained from the Bible where, why he was right. And then he said at the end, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. And he thought he was going to be executed. He wasn't. Other reformers, though, were. They were killed. Because they were saying, the Bible says justification is this way. We've got to get it right. It's at the core. If we get that wrong, everything is going to be wrong. We've got to get this concept right. So this year is the 500th anniversary of that. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to teach Galatians this year. So important to understand justification. Because it's the core doctrine of the gospel. Martin Luther said... This doctrine, justification, is the head and the cornerstone. 
It alone begets, nurses, builds, preserves, and defends the Church of God. And without it, the Church of God cannot exist for one hour. On this article, all that we teach and practice is based. John Calvin, another one of the reformers, said, Wherever the knowledge of justification is taken away, the glory of God is extinguished, religion abolished, the church destroyed, and the hope of salvation utterly overthrown. So important that they were willing to risk their lives to get this thing right. I remember in sixth grade in Mrs. Chenzo's science class, we watched this video, and some of you have maybe seen a similar video, and it started with a, you know, a picture of a human. And then said, if you zoom in on this human, and zoomed in on the a, on a skin, there's what? Skin cells. And zoomed in on the skin cell, and you can see the cell with you know, the membrane and all that good stuff. I don't really remember. But then if you zoom in even further, what is it? There's the nucleus at the center of the cell. And then you zoom in even further, and inside the nucleus of the cell are the protons and the neutrons, all that stuff. And it kept zooming in, zooming in. So every layer, you'd see a little bit more. If you zoomed in on the Christian faith about what we believe and what we practice, what we do, you would see at the center of it the Bible, God's Word that we talked about last week. You know, we trust these 66 books. But if you zoomed in even further on those books, what are they all about? The Gospel of Jesus Christ. All 66 books are about that one thing. But then if you zoom in even further, you see salvation. So the gospel tells us. Zoom in even further still, what do you see? Justification. So at the core of it, at the center, is justification. We've got to get that right. Because it messes up everything else. So let's keep reading in verse 16 as Paul explains to Peter and in turn to the Galatians and in turn to us what justification is. He says that we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He said the same thing three times. Did you catch it? He said you're not justified by works, works of the law, exactly, but you are justified by Faith. So this is our third point. Justification comes by faith, not by works. Very clearly, he wants. He says it over and over and over again. So that you get it. justification. The way that we become accepted by God, declared righteous, declared in the right, is by faith, not by works. It's by believing in Jesus Christ, putting our trust in Him, not putting our trust in what we do. In fact, in the very last line in verse 16, he said, Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, I want to go back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in a place like Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So that's your extra credit reading, if you want to pick that up. But in there, Jesus explained why no one could be justified by works. Because you have to be perfect. God is perfect and holy. And in fact, he said, if you look at the Old Testament law, Jesus said, Okay, it says, do not commit adultery. And I can just imagine all the righteous religious people are like, yes, I haven't committed adultery, I'm a very good person. The people that had, they, they feel like, oh, I'm an awful person. But then Jesus says, it's not just enough that you haven't committed adultery. Because if you have ever looked at someone other than your spouse and thought, I want that. If you've ever lusted after someone, you have committed adultery in your heart. 
you're just as guilty as the people who have been killed. And he says, okay, who in here hasn't murdered? Okay, most of us in here would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't murdered anyone. He says, but that's not enough. If you've ever looked at someone in anger and thought, I could just wring their neck, you're committing murder in your heart. You are guilty of murder. Whoa, this is crazy, right? Jesus is saying it's not just okay that you have followed these rules. It's what's in your heart that counts. And if in your heart you have sinned, you are guilty. And at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.48, Jesus said, you must be perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus set the standard very high. He said, God is perfect. He's holy. If you were to die and go to heaven and you're imperfect, you're going to ruin heaven for everyone. God won't let you in. You have to be perfect. Not only do you have to follow these rules, which all of us have broken them, all of us have lied, any of us have stolen, but also our hearts have broken the law. And if nobody was around to see us, a lot of us would have committed murder or adultery. We could get away with it. That's what Jesus is saying. Our hearts are sinful. That's why when Paul says, no one can be justified by works of the law. No one can. No one meets the expectation Jesus said. No one does. That's why we need faith. It's by faith alone that we can be justified. None of us are good enough. None of us will ever do enough. We will do too many wrong things. Our works, what we do, is never enough to please God to be accepted by Him. We can be accepted by faith. We can be declared in the right, justified by believing in Jesus Christ. Some of you will immediately kind of object to this, and people in Paul's day did as well, and that's where we pick up in verse 17. It said, But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not, he says. If I rebuild what I destroy, then I really would be a lawbreaker. What he's saying there is that a lot of people assume that if you believe this doctrine, that you can be saved not by anything you do, but based on faith, then people will say, well, I guess I'll just do whatever I want in sin. And in fact, a lot of parents are afraid to teach their kids the doctrine of justification. If I say you can be forgiven and set right with God and accepted by Him no matter what you do, what if they sin? What if they disobedient? Uh, a lot of Sunday school teachers and volunteers are afraid to teach this to kids in church. A lot of pastors are afraid to preach it. Because they're thinking, well, won't this just promote sin? But it doesn't. Next week we're really going to get into that why it doesn't promote sin. But what Paul says next, verses 19 and 20, so good. He explains how justification works and why it doesn't lead to more sin. It says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his love to me. So if you're here and you memorize Bible verses, memorize Galatians 2.20. If you're here and you don't memorize verses, memorize Galatians 2.20. Such an important verse, I literally have preached an entire message just on that verse. What Paul is saying here is that the heart of justification. So if we were going to zoom in even further on this doctrine of justification, 
He's explaining how it works underneath the surface, at its core, why it's so good. And I don't care if you're, I I want you to understand justification, I want you to remember that word. But if you forget the word imputation, that's okay. That's what's going on underneath justification. Imputation says, like in verse 20, it says that I have been crucified with Christ. The punishment that we deserve is imputed, it's given to Jesus Christ on the cross. He takes our punishment, so we don't have to face the punishment. And what's even better than that is that the reward that he earned for living a perfect life is given to us, it's imputed to us. So that's how justification works and why it makes sense. So our sin gets put on Jesus. His righteousness, his being accepted by God, gets put on us. We are declared in the right from the moment we believe. And in faith we are united with Jesus, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection and his new life. So that's why the life we live after that point, if you really understand this, it's going to change your heart. It's going to change you completely from the inside out. Because you're going to be living Jesus' life. His spirit will be living in you. That's why we say things like you ask Jesus into your heart. Because he's going to be living in you and changing you from the inside out. This is so important to understand. In a place like 2 Corinthians 5.21, it explains this concept. Where it says, Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin, so that in Christ we could become right with God. He gets our sin. We get his righteousness. He was punished. We are accepted. you understand how justification works now? At the core of it? I want you to get this. Because when people get it wrong, it makes the whole thing wrong. you got to get it right. you got to get it right. So here's my fourth point to explain this. Is that justification means that we are gifted what Jesus earned. As a gift, God says, I want to forgive you. I want to give you eternal life. I want to give you a new chance at life. I want hope for you. I want you to be accepted and loved. It's a gift. Not because we not because we worked hard for it, but because Jesus earned it and gave it to us. So this is so important for us to understand. And in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Christ Jesus. Again, in Ephesians 2 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Being declared right, being forgiven of our sin, is a gift. So we just need to accept it. So this leads me to my big idea for today. If you forget all four of those points, remember this. Remember this. The big idea is we need to quit working. For a gift. Quit working for a gift. This is a gift, eternal life, forgiveness. Not by anything you have to do, not by any works that you have to do, any laws you have to follow the rules. It's a gift. All that you have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ and believe you receive that gift. This is so important because, like at the beginning, I said we're all working to be justified. We're all seeking it. We're doing things to be accepted by others. The only person who matters is God. And if God says, I accept you, then we should be happy. We should stop trying to even work to impress God, those of us who are religious. We grew up religious. We, we shouldn't have the guilt beating ourselves up all the time. I'm never good enough. I did this thing. Oh, I feel so awful. Can I even go to church? Have you ever felt that way? Can I even go to my community group this week because of what I said to my wife? Or how I treated my kids? 
God says, no. You have the gift of forgiveness. You are accepted right now. We shouldn't beat ourselves up. We should stop working hard to impress God. He loves us and accepts us. Next week, we're going to talk about how that leads us to live a different life. But today, I want you to quit working for a gift you can already have for free. Now, I just want you to imagine this scenario. A multi-billionaire calls you up. Says, I know you have a bad credit score and you're in debt and you've made some really bad choices in your life, but I want to give you a gift. I have this beautiful 120-acre estate up in the mountains. There's a mansion on it, 30,000 square feet, enough room for everyone you can think of. And, and you know what? I want to give it to you. It's free. But I know there's also taxes you have to pay on the property, so I'm going to pay all your taxes for the rest of your life. And I know you might be worried because that's a lot of ground to keep up, so I'm going to pay for the groundskeeper. I'll pay for a maid to clean that big house. I'll pay for you to have a, a personal chef. I'll even give you a butler in case you can't hear the doorbell ringing in your big house. I'll pay for all of it. All their salaries are covered for your entire life. Everything is free. And then imagine you saying, well, I think I need to pay you back. Let me try to pay you back for this. So then you work hard for the rest of your life. For 40 years you work in your career. And over the course of your year, you earn $100,000 a year. And you save every penny of it. You don't waste any of it. Like you normally do. And spend it on frivolous stuff. No, you save every penny. And then you go at the end of your 40 years working hard your whole life, and you say, I'm going to pay you back, this rich benefactor. Here's the $4 million I've made in my lifetime. Save every penny. Here it is. The benefactor would laugh. Say, this estate was actually worth $120 million when I gave it to you. So you would have to work another 30 lifetimes to pay it off, to keep working. No. Your benefactor was laughing. He said, this is a gift for you. I want you to have it. So quit working for it. We think in our life that we need to work to be impressed on others, to impress God, to be accepted by Him. But God says, no, I have a gift for you. I love you. I want to forgive you. My son Jesus took your punishment. He was condemned so you could be justified. He was cursed so you could be forgiven. He was cast in hell so that you could have heaven. It's a gift. It's a gift. So we need to stop working to earn this gift. It's just accept it. And once you do, it's going to completely transform your life from the inside out. You're going to stop beating yourself up. When you feel guilty, you're going to be like, this is stupid. Why do I feel guilty for this? I'm forgiven. And it's going to change you. And you're going to stop sinning as much. You're going to start doing better things, not because you have to, not because you're working hard to please God, but because you're accepted by him already and you're going to want to do good. So if you're here today and you are a Christian, I want to make sure you understand justification so that you will stop working for this gift. Beating yourself up that you're not good because you are accepted. You are forgiven. You are loved. Even if everyone else rejects you and doesn't accept you, you are accepted by God the Father. You are adopted as his child. You are forgiven and you are loved. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're saying, I, I don't know if I believe or I haven't put my trust in Jesus Christ yet. Today's the day. On Easter I said, uh, if you were here, you don't have to accept Jesus Christ today. Think about it. Well, maybe today's the day for you so that you can be accepted and stop working your tail off 
to impress others and to impress God. You can be accepted by God because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. So, um, I'm going to have Alan and Valerie come up, and they're going to lead us in this song of response, In Christ Alone. Some of you know that song. Because in this song, I want you all to declare that Jesus alone is the only hope of salvation. Not my works, but Jesus's. But He earned, not myself. And I want us to declare that. And if you are that non-Christian today, let this song be you trusting in Jesus Christ for the first time and receiving that gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, um, this doctrine of justification is hard to understand, but I hope that we all grasped it today. I hope that we understand that we can be declared right with you, that we can be accepted and loved, forgiven, and adopted into your family, not because we have earned it, but because you have given us this beautiful gift. Let us all be able to accept it with open arms so that we might know that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are justified. Praise Jesus' name.